welcome to Writers on the Beat, where crime writers meet crime fighters. I'm your host, Gavin Reese, and I'm proud to be part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Every episode of this podcast will bring in experts and authors to help writers of all genres compose more authentic cops, crimes, and criminals in their stories. For this episode, acclaimed international bestseller Don Bentley sits down in the interrogation room to try to get his story straight. Don spent a decade flying Apache helicopters for the Army, during which time he was stationed in South Korea, Germany, and Texas, while deployed to Afghanistan as a troop commander in support of Operation Enduring Freedom. Don was awarded the Bronze Star Medal and the Air Medal with V Device for Valor. After serving in the military, Don joined the FBI as a special agent and was a member of the Dallas office's Special Weapons and Tactics Team. Since leaving the FBI, Don has worked for a number of companies that develop technology for the U.S. Special Operations Community. He earned a BS in Electrical and Computer Engineering from The Ohio State University and an MFA in Writing Popular Fiction from Seton Hall University. Don is the acclaimed best-selling author of the Matt Drake thriller series, which includes Without Sanction, The Outside Man, and two forthcoming titles. And he's just recently come on board the Tom Clancy estate to compose the Jack Ryan Jr. novels. The upcoming release on June 8th is entitled Tom Clancy Target Acquired. Don, welcome to Writers on the Beat. I am so grateful for you making time to come on the show and talk about this latest release, man. Thank you for being here. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Gavin. Now, for anyone unfortunate enough to not have an advanced copy of Tom Clancy Target Acquired, uh, what do you want them to know about this latest release? Man, that's the question that every writer lays in bed uh, awake at night dreading is what is actually your book about? Um, mm -hmm. yeah. I think what I, <laughs> I, I think what I want folks to know is that this is is obviously my first book in the in the Clancy universe. And so came to it very um, humbly and also wanting to have a, a laser focus on Jack Ryan Jr., both because I wanted to figure him out as a writer and needed to understand what made him tick and because it's it's my entry to the series. And so I, what I really wanted to do was be hyper-focused just on him. And so the book obviously centers around Jack Ryan Jr. It, it takes place or is set in Tel Aviv, Israel, which is one of my favorite cities in the world. Um, I've been lucky enough to have a number of Israeli friends and I've worked with Israeli companies uh, the last nine years and have been there many times. And so it was great fun setting it in Israel. And, and what happens is, is something that often happens to Jack Ryan Jr. is that a really simple encounter with a woman and, and her child in, in a marketplace turns into something that, that spans the globe where he has to, uh, has to figure out who's targeting this woman before she inadvertently unleashes the apocalypse. So very small stakes, very small stakes. Uh, yes. Acquired. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's one of the, that's one of the, the difficult things, especially I mean, with any series really, but yep. especially with this series that is, is so, uh, so long running and so well loved yep. in writing another installment that takes the stakes somehow even higher or takes this someplace <laughs> it hasn't been. Um, yep. It has to be an incredibly arduous task just to just to imagine what you're going to put out a year or two from now. Yeah, it, it is. And um, from a writing perspective, what I what I try and do, I think what most readers in this readers and writers in this genre do is I'm a, an avid, um, avid purveyor of news uh, mm -hmm. myself in there. And you can tell when you read 
a story when it when it gives you that kind of ping and you're like oh that's interesting i need to figure out more about it and so i keep mm -hmm. a a little file that i dump things in called research that are interesting to me and then i'll i'll go through them periodically and figure out what has legs and what doesn't and maybe what what um could sustain the weight of a book or or what and then the other thing i've been very very fortunate i'm just um, transitioning now to writing full-time but for most of my professional life uh, once i got out of the fbi i worked with companies who developed and, and marketed technology to um, the special operations community and so what that does is is give you a bird's eye view you get to rub shoulders with the people who are who are the real life versions of the folks that you write about. And so I can't tell you the number of times where I'm, I'm having a conversation with one of those folks and something they say, and I'm like, tell me more about that. And so yeah. there's actually a big portion of Target Acquired that um, the whole the whole um, section about the, the ODA team working in, I have it in Syria that actually took place in Iraq or a version of that. And so I, I met a guy who was a, a master sergeant in, um, in, in on a special operations team who, who went through something very similar. And I'm like, can I use that in the book? And so it's you know, a combination <laughs> of that, of, of reading stuff and then meeting people that do it. And then you, hopefully those two things kind of collide and take the series in a place that it hasn't been before. And then kind of my security blanket, if you will, my editor, Tom Colgan, mm -hmm. is all things Tom Clancy. And, and he really serves as the guardrails for the series. So at, when you're coming up with a new idea, when you're looking at doing, he is is kind of the walking encyclopedia of what's done or hasn't been done before. And so between all of those things, hopefully I get to come up with something um, that is worthy of being in that series, but is, as you kind of put it, something that's that's different or hasn't been tried before. You know, and I have about 15 questions I simultaneously want to ask just based on what you said. <laughs> so um, the, the first the first one I want to take on um, and, and looking at your experience, yep. um, you know, uh, with Tom having been an insurance salesman and mm -hmm. having done the incredible amount of research yep. um, through open sources pre-internet to be able to put this thing together. Yeah, it's unimaginable. Yeah, and you know, I, I feel like um, from from my background and, and my experience, I feel like most of the time I get to cheat at writing mm -hmm. because most of the time I'm writing about something I've either personally done, personally witnessed, or trained to do. Yep. And I have to imagine that there's a, a lot of cheating going on now, um, <laughs> and and that that might end up. Um, uh, might uh, end up kind of uh, impacting or affecting the, the characters a little bit and letting us see yep. a little bit different side of even uh, even the Ding Chavez and the Jack Ryan Juniors. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've I've I've, I've had been fortunate enough to do some interesting things, which my wife says just just proves that I've still not really figured out what I want to be when I grow mm -hmm. up. And so I was, you know, an Apache Army Apache helicopter pilot um, for ten years and did a. A combat deployment in Afghanistan. And then when I got out, I was an FBI special agent and was a human guy for a while and was on the, the SWAT team um, there as well. And so you you get to, as you said, kind of cheat a little bit. But, uh, you know, I, I tell folks the, the biggest contribution from my background has been the folks I've been able to stand in the room with. And what I mean by that is my the other series I write, the, um, the Matt Drake series, I had uh, an interviewer once asked me, are you Matt Drake? And so my, 
my protagonist on that standpoint is a former army ranger. He was a, a, a case officer for the De defense intelligence agency. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, I am absolutely not Matt Drake, but I stood in the same room with him. And so it's the same thing with, with this, with target acquired, you know, one of the opening um, in the opening scene um, where Jack Ryan Jr. first takes stage is he's conducting an asset validation exercise. Well, that's mm -hmm. something as a former human guy that is very near and dear to my heart that we have have done before that we've planned before and, and and you know part of that is is when you're doing that the reason why you're doing that is because you have an asset or in the fbi we call them sources a person who you think has access to information you want but you're not sure if they're suitable to be able to provide both provide that information and suitable for you to be able to train them in you know the the field craft of espionage so that they can do that without being compromised and so a lot of times you'll construct this scenario around that person where they think it's a real tasking for lack of a better term. And it's really just an exercise where, where you're evaluating their performance and what they think is a real environment because you want to understand that before you put them in harm's way is, are they really able to handle that burden? Are they able to handle that load? And so, you know, having done them before and helped plan them before, you know, I always had tickling in the back of my brain that, what would happen if this suddenly escalated out of control of something mm -hmm. that's supposed to be a very controlled environment of something that is the only person who thinks it's real is, is the person who's watched on all sides, whatever. But what if that went sideways? And I think that's maybe the, the impetus of a lot of great stories is what if something benign went sideways? And so I, I certainly try and take things from my background or folks who I've been fortunate enough to, to meet with and say, let me show you something that's maybe benign in my past life, but would be really interesting to you, like an asset validation exercise. And then let me show you it going off the rails, I think, is the first part. I think the second part is that, you know, very few people in, in the United States have served in the military. It's less than 1%. I think it's like at a half of a percent. Yes. And even fewer of those are folks who we're in the special operations community. And I, I was certainly, like I said, never in the special operations community, but because of the, you know, the, the company I, I work for or had worked for now is staffed um, primarily by folks from that community. One of my best friends and, and guys who serves as my subject matter expert, a guy named Jason mm -hmm. Beefley is a retired Sergeant major from, from Delta force and spent, you know, 10 or 12 years in that. And so, I got, because of proximity, this incredible view into a very intriguing world that few people actually get to take a look at. And I thought, you know, man, if, I, if, if me as a novelist, if I can take some of that and pull back the curtain and say, here's what this actually looks like, you know, that, that's a great thing to pull into a book. And not only does it add some veracity, but let's be honest, it's fun. And that's what novels are supposed to be about, right? Yes. Some of it's some of it's truth, certainly, but at the end, it's people read it. They're not reading nonfiction. They're reading it because, because hopefully it's a great story. And so those are the kind of things that I try and pull together when I write. And I have to imagine one of the other things that's been very different in, in writing in the Clancy universe, um, I, uh, Hunt for Red October was my introduction to the thriller world, like I think a lot of people in my age yep. bracket. Yep. And one of the things, um, especially looking back in hindsight, one of the things that's most interesting to me from a craft perspective about this universe is that Jack Ryan doesn't have a flaw. He's, <laughs> you know, maybe a boy yeah. scout, 
as yep. you know the uh, some of the the yep. shadow agents of the villains have accused him of being right and yep. very similar to that jack ryan jr he is a little bit young he's a little inexperienced um sometimes a little bit uh, yep. spontaneous i think you could say um yep yep but he doesn't have that dark side that that uh right. that other you know element that most of us in the human experience deal with personally and i have to imagine that has to be a little bit different to write than than your matt drake series just from that perspective yeah. it it definitely is i think what so first of all you know if you look at some of the older interviews with Tom Clancy, you know, he was unabashedly um, would talk about what he wanted when he created Jack Ryan Sr. And, and then by extension, his son, Jack Ryan Jr. is this, this, you know, all American, you know, Catholic family man that you could root for that you would mm -hmm. aspire to be right. And I think that's a huge part of the readership for thrillers, especially the male readership is you're, you're reading about the person not only who does things that you wish you could do or is you know a little bit a little bit more sharp-witted than you are or has that comeback ready but i think a lot of, of it is projection and saying this is a person i wish i could be more from hopefully more from just the the perspective they get the fast rope in on a terrorist compound mm -hmm. and and shoot bad guys in the face is this is a person <laughs> who i would want to be in real life right and so jack ryan senior and junior are very much like that but to your point it does make it hard it's kind of i guess maybe it, it could be akin to writing you know the early superman um comics or something like that is what do you do with a person like that right how do you how do you keep that in balance if they don't have an obvious or glaring flaw or something like that and so what i tried to do in target acquired again intentionally you know narrow the focus just onto jack ryan jr is to ask some of the questions about hey here's where he is in life and is that really where he wants to be from from the standpoint of you know what has he given up to become the campus operative he is right now and is that now causing him to reflect on those things, right? Because if you look at you, you, you um, brought up Hunt for the Red October, which I think was most everybody's gateway drug to the Clancy universe, mm -hmm. is that Jack Ryan Sr. was very much the accidental hero in that, right? From the standpoint yes. of, you know, I'm just an analyst, I'm just the guy <laughs> who's behind the desk, and suddenly yeah. he's, you know, in a, in a Russian submarine doing what he does in that book. And in contrast, Jack Ryan Jr took the opposite route where he went out and sought out that lifestyle and, and traded everything that he had to earn the respect of the, the, the fellow campus operatives and, and Clancy legends. And now he's got there. And, and frankly, what happens to a lot of us who operate in that environment, whether it's law enforcement, the military, and certainly folks in the special operations community is, okay, I got there. I'm in my middle thirties this is what i've given up perhaps to get here and is it worth it and what happens next you know is this gonna be you know everybody has to hang up their rifle at some point and what do you want your life what do you want to have in your life besides you know a bunch of memories and 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 scars and and, and whatever is what about the other part of your life that you really put on hold up until now because you know, getting to the to the top, you know, the tip of the spear, whatever analogy you want, has consumed everything you had, and you're there. And now what? And so that's what I tried to do as a writer is maybe pull on some of those threads that folks haven't looked at before.
Yeah, I, I think that's something that uh, probably the, the typical reader, just uh, the, the man on the street doesn't necessarily really appreciate is that yeah, those folks in the special operations community are the Olympians of their yes. profession. And Absolutely. just like the, uh, the gymnast who began training at age five to train mm-hmm. a world stage competitor at 20 or 25, Yep. Uh, these guys are putting the same focus, guys and gals are putting the same uh, focus and same singular intensity yep. in their life, um, although with much higher stakes. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, uh, and, you know, a gymnast deciding to retire at 35 because they've lost a step um, yep. is, is somewhat fairly analogous to uh, a, a lot of guys moving uh, out of operations and up into the ranks or, or trying to figure out how to how to be a civilian again when when they've got absolutely a very specialized skill set that doesn't directly apply in most of our world thank god a, a very specialized skill set and and to consider or to take your analogy a step further it's it's much more akin i think a lot of times to somebody who plays for the nfl right because the average the average shelf life or, or not shelf life but the average playing time for a player who you know is what maybe five years maybe Mm -hmm. less than that and so you spent your entire life becoming this athlete at the very top of their game but because what you do is so physically punishing Mm -hmm. you might not be able to spend a whole lot of time actually doing that and so what's next right to your point what's next or what have you given up or are you willing to what are you willing to trade in order to extend that playing time by another year or two years or three years? And that's what, you know, again, in, in, in my civilian job, bumped into a lot of folks who were trying to figure that out. Most of the time, guys who are in that profession don't volunteer or don't, don't retire voluntarily, or at least mm-hmm. on their timeline, they're retiring because there's a career ending injury because mm-hmm. they've, you know, TBI, traumatic brain injury, because they've been exposed to breaching charges one time too many, or, Mm -hmm. you know, they fast rope with X number of pounds on their back so many times that their knees can't take it anymore. Or it's, it's something like that, where it's not a planned exit. It's not on their timeline. It's not. And so what do you do with that? Right? What, what do you do next with a, with a skill set that really isn't that applicable anywhere else to, a life that you spent your entire time trying to achieve and now potentially it's gone. Right. And, and how do you deal with that? And in a somewhat analogous um, uh, example, um, one of the themes of this podcast is that it generally takes about a decade of blood, sweat, and tears to become an overnight success. <laughs> and uh, looking at, at your, your career and, and your yep. effort, um, uh, earning the your MFA and then literally busting onto the scene with this unbelievable debut novel um, that everyone and their mother fell in love with. Um, what was your journey like from I want to write to I'm an acclaimed bestseller? Yeah, so um, like just like you said, I was an overnight. Um, success in that it took me 17 years and three books that didn't sell before I <laughs> I wrote without sanction that did and so you know what you're saying there is so is so key because in any in any other profession if you wanted to be a plumber or electrician or a painter 
there's typically an apprentice journeyman and then master thing that you go through. But, but we think a lot of times that writing shouldn't be that way, that your first book that you ever write, that your first short story you ever write. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I had one of, one of my inspirations as I was going through that um, was, uh, oh man, and now I can't think of his name, the science fiction writer that took over for, um, and fantasy that took over for Robert Jordan. He, uh, he he wrote 13 novels as a night manager that didn't sell before he wrote his first book that did and so yeah. it brand brandon sanderson that's who i'm mm-hmm. trying to say and so it's it's so much but 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 writing is that crazy thing where you don't for the most time have a mentor that's standing over you saying hey you're almost there here's what here is why that book didn't sell and so on one hand it takes equal equal parts persistence and bullheadedness that I'm going to keep writing until I succeed. But if you don't change something about what you're doing, it's kind of the definition of insanity, right? You continue to write novels that don't, that don't um, sell. And so for me, the two pivotal parts of my writing career, one was going back and getting an MFA. And then the second part was going to the Thriller Fest writing conference that they have up in, Mm -hmm. in New York. And and that one, you know, I, people ask me all the time, you know, should I get an MFA? Should I go to a conference? And my perspective is there are certain foundational things you need to learn about the craft of writing. How does a novel go together? What are the elements that that make up a good scene? And you can do that in an MFA. You can do that. Writer's Digest offers a lot of good classes and stuff. You can do that. But what what conferences give you is the opportunity to learn from writers who are actually further along on that journey than you are. And a lot of times for, especially at the Thriller Fest conference, for the price of buying somebody a beer, you can get a master's class in actually making a living as a writer. And, and both of those things are so invaluable and in, in, in having, and from that, from both of them, I got critique partners who were farther along in the journey that I, than I was that could kind of say, hey, here's what you're doing or here's one of my very good friends is Nick Petrie. He writes the drifter mm-hmm. series and yeah. he and I share an agent. And he, um, he was when, when my third novel didn't sell, which was my thesis novel for my MFA program, I was really at the point where, you know, I don't know that I'm ever going to get this right. And maybe this just isn't for me. And he literally grabbed me and he said, you know, don't give up. It took me three books before my fourth one sold, go home and write your fourth book. And I did, and that was the one that sold. But part of the reason why it sold is Nick was nice enough. He said, hey, send me the first, you know, send me the book when you're ready. Cause we were, I, I didn't have an agent yet, but I was gonna query his agent, which is now mine as well, Barbara Powell. And he went through the entire book and gave me lots of good feedback. And then he gave me something that just punched me in the gut. And he said, this book needs another edit. And he's like, you, you aren't done yet. And he took like the first chapter and showed me what he would have done. And at first I was pissed off and I'm like, mm-hmm. he just doesn't understand my voice. He doesn't. And then I started yeah. looking at like what he did. And I was mm-hmm. like, he's right. It needs another edit. I've been lazy. I need to go through and do it again. And it's things like that, that you, you don't learn unless you write, but you're not going to get better unless you write and incorporate the lessons when you fail each time. And I think that's the magic part. Yeah, and I, I always like uh, ending shows on a little bit of a hypothetical, if uh, you're going <laughs> to play along here, Don. Sure. Um, 
So um, if you were to find yourself in a scenario not too unlike what you've put Jack Ryan Jr. in in Tel Aviv, <laughs> where you're going out and, and basically just, you know, just doing a, a, a simple day-to-day uh, yep. -day task, you know, evaluating a, a source and everything goes to absolute shit. Mm -hmm. And you can tap in two uh, fictional characters <laughs> whom you don't write to assist you on your quest to save this woman. Who do you bring along? So I can answer that in two seconds. That is um, Pike Logan, from <laughs> Mr. Brad Taylor is the first yeah. one. And then Mitch Rapp um, from, from mm -hmm. uh, Vince Flynn and now Kyle Mills. And that I have to, to say that I, my Vince Flynn, Kyle Mills does a fantastic job writing yes. that, but Vince Flynn was and still is my favorite author ever. And when I was struggling and trying to figure out um, what, what I did wrong uh, or what I was doing wrong, why I wasn't getting results, much to my wife's chagrin, I actually took, and I think it was transfer of power mm -hmm. and took an index card for every scene and color coded, whether it was Mitch, whether it was the, antagonist whether and i put it up on our bedroom wall and just laid it all out there and it was like i said my wife wasn't happy about it but being able to to peer behind the curtain mm -hmm. and see what a master had done and like oh he only he only keeps mitch out of the 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 um, narrative for three scenes max or hey here is when he introduces the new character and mm -hmm. and here's how he manages to bring conflict to each thing like that's another huge part is finding the books you admire and reading them as a reader first and then going back as a writer and pulling them apart and figuring out how they did what they did. Yeah. And uh, I, I would uh, um, almost be remiss. Uh, so in, in my office right now, I have a huge easel board up behind me because I'm, I'm old school <laughs> enough that I don't like to do everything digital. And on the easel board, I've got uh, three different sections for the beginning hook, the middle build one and two, and mm -hmm. then the ending payoff. Um, and I have five different colors of post-it yep. notes um, for not uh, characters specifically, but this is a, it's a conspiracy novel I'm working on right now, the fourth installment. Nice. And it's, so it's all of my subplots. <laughs> yep. Making sure that yep. I've got all these, all these series long arcs together and trying yep. to manage all of that. And it's a, uh, yeah, yeah, and that, that's the thing that I think is very different about the analogy earlier on, on uh, Journeyman and, and, and Tradecraft mm -hmm. is that you can pick up any book that you loved and tear it yep. apart and find yep. out why, why it works. Absolutely. And, you know, it's all there for you. Absolutely. Absolute pleasure having you on the show, Don. I'm so grateful for you making time and sharing your expertise with us, sir. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. It, it was great. You've been listening to Writers on the Beat, where crime writers meet crime fighters, a copyrighted broadcast of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. I'm your host, Gavin Reese, and this episode's guest has been bestseller Don Bentley. Until next time, take care of yourselves and each other. Be safe out there.